Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Rugby Union Podcast with your host, Mark Kennedy. Joined again this week by Liam Breen. Liam, how are things? Oh, feeling fantastic after one of the games of my lifetime, really, that are your friends game, I'd say. The game for the ages, for the Six Nations at least, anyway. Uh, so, Liam, I suppose we'll have a run the rule over round two of the Guinness Six Nations. As you said, Ireland beat France in an absolute classic in Eviva. Finn Russell inspired Scotland to a record win over Wales at Murrayfield. And England got the job done against Italy on Sunday. And I suppose, Liam, you've alluded to it here to start the podcast, the Aviva Stadium, Dublin, last Saturday. What an incredible advert for rugby. Yeah, it's it's uh, I, to be fair, you know, it takes the two teams to 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 go out and play like that, and and they were both up for up for it from the very first minute. Yeah, I just think it was it was such helter skelter, high intensity. At times, you have to say almost kamikaze running. You know what I mean? Like there was no structure to the game, very little scrums, lineouts, but uh, ball in play was in play for like like like. Maybe that was to our advantage in terms of the end, in terms of the second half. But um, yeah, brilliant, absolutely brilliant from both both sets of players, and incredible skill levels. Just uh, great lines of running. Just it had Everton. It had you know some brilliant tries. It also had to be us with, with Ramos some incredible goal kicking. Like I mean, ridiculously good drop goals. It had that Uini Antonio incident. It had Everton literally. You know, from minute one, it really did set the tone, didn't it? I mean, it was perfect weather in Dublin for this game. A large French supporting contingent travelling over to see France as well. So the atmosphere beforehand was electric. So I suppose, Liam, we can probably start off with France probably on the front foot, probably in the first three, four minutes, building phases. Tygburn pinged at breakdown and Ramos putting France ahead 3 nil after five minutes. But I suppose Ireland's response was immediate. I know we can talk about the the Keenan try, but I suppose before that, Liam, the kick in behind from Sexton, uh, resulting in great quality field position. I suppose it was a sign from Ireland that they were prepared to really attack France from all angles here. I mean, I suppose we alluded to it last week about about it had to be clever kicking as well. But I I think that in terms of the, the goal kicking, France. They they kind of kicked a lot from their their own half, but from their twenty two to fifty, uh, a a lot of running, I guess. But yeah, um, it, it was set up there well for for um field position. Well, Keenan's try, I mean, to me, like I never saw the likes of in my life, honestly, from any other team. It was a set play within open play. Now, I I certainly haven't seen the likes of that before. So, yeah, look, I mean, we had uh, Beelham with a, a kind of just a lovely pass through there for Keenan because Murray went around as a diversion and the, all, and all the other players floated through as well. I, I just could, I, it was fabulous to see it, actually. Incredible execution, even in terms of Peter Amahani, you know, around the Rock area, you know, playing a big part there. But I suppose massive kudos here to Finley Beelham. I thought Beelham... From a tight head prop situation, a few weeks ago on this podcast, we were calling out for depth charts. We were calling out for who's the person to put their hand up here to be that tight furlong placement. I think we've got our answer here with Finley Beenham. I think it was a powerful performance from the Connacht tight head. I mean, the the pass alone was exquisite, but just the timing of it, the realisation that Keenan running a fantastic line from deep, it was just well executed, and I know there has been commentary in terms of where the play has originated. But again, for a tight head prop to basically execute the pass in that magnitude, and as you say yourself, Liam, how well trilled that move was. I mean, Keenan had options left and right here, but backed himself to get over. I mean, it was a magnificent try and uh, really set the tone for what was to come. Yeah, look, I mean, I mean, yeah, because as it kind of France had a lot of ball in, in the opening minutes, but it, that first half was very tit for tat in terms of points. There wasn't nothing, there wasn't much difference between the two teams because directly afterwards Ramos hit another huge kick to to just go one point behind, and then of course we went on to the the penalty try, 
And what, what, what impressed me was it really was one of those great running French tries where it started with Peno <laughs> and actually finished with Peno <laughs> getting the pass from Jalange. And somehow he was able to get through a gap with kind of three Irish guys um, on his coattails there. Uh, just uh, for, for trying to try. And he, his try scoring record is like, he's a, he's a one in two try scoring record. He's a, he is one of the great wingers in, in world rugby now. Oh, he's an absolute predator, isn't he, Damon Pino? But I suppose you have to credit Thomas Ramos as well. Kicking behind, ball on the ground, and the ingenuity to basically palm the ball out wide, setting up Pino, I thought was exquisite. I think just that's just classic France, just playing off the cuff, really. And you could hear the French travelling contingent loving every offload here. And I suppose Penno's pace is very underestimated here, Liam, isn't it, as well? I mean, you can critique all you want here regarding maybe the Mag Hansons, Connor Murray's, but Penno has serious gas. And, I mean, no one's going to catch him from the 30 metres out. Like So, I mean, a fantastic score from Damien Penno. And, I mean, suddenly Ireland are back on their heels again, you know, 13-7, and looking for a reaction. Yeah, and boy, do we get it <laughs> with, uh, with with James Lowe. You know, you, you could say like it, it was it was a great finish, and it certainly was. You know that about it. But I suppose it, look, the angles that were available in terms of TMO and refs, probably at the time, it, it you know it, it was the right decision in terms of the low try. Again, you probably have to go outside. <laughs> you know the the sideline from that side. To, to see the other angle um, and you probably would have to say that yeah just about like I'd always give it I'd always give it to the attacking team you know to be honest but I mean from another angle you could say possibly he was out but it was a great finish tremendous finish anyway yeah and I think just to set up play really as well ring rolls prominent in that lead up the way that Ireland were patient but also the ability to spread the ball out wide as well really stretching France to breaking point I thought it was very impressive. I suppose it's a ruling from Graham Barnes going upstairs saying that his on-field decision was a try. I think it was pretty decisive here. I mean, TMO needs conclusive evidence here to basically or to overturn the decision. And to be fair, and I heard Joe Malloy from Virgin Media say this, like the camera footage here is coming from Six Nations, a TV production company outside of our national broadcaster. So, you know, French fans can critique all they want, but I think this was an outside broadcast production company that was relaying the images. So, again, there's been a mantra here for the TMOs to get on with making decisions. So, given the images here, there's no conclusive evidence to overturn it. So, Lowe gets to try, and 12-13, Sexton narrowly misses the conversion. But I suppose, Liam, we get to the Antonio incident here. It's garnered an awful lot of media reaction post the game red for you or not yeah yeah by by any sort of standard you, you you'd say red but anyway look it there was actually no mitigating factors that's what you, that's what you kind of have to look for and like straight shoulder right into herring yeah look i mean look and um antonio i'd say look he, he's going to get a bit cited already if he hasn't um this week and he'll be he'll be gone for a few games it's just it's something that, that can't be allowed to um to continue in rugby really i'd agree with your name it's a red day all day long i mean you consider the red car for jack o'donoghue uh against northampton saints i mean what would jack o'donoghue must be thinking in terms of even the ruling on the field from wayne barnes in terms of you know low impact or whatever you want to call it i mean it just you could see andrew carley's reaction here Liam. you know he looked a puzzled look when he was leaving the the deliberation here I mean, as you said, this is the sort of tackle that is should be being ruled out, but it's now creating a vacuum. It's creating uncertainty, ambiguity in terms of the law here, in terms of what is a high headshot now. And I mean, to be fair, I thought that was it. Now, you can critique all you want in terms of Antonio. He's a big man, but at no point did he adjust to basically tackle here. It's basically full-on shoulder charge. I mean, look, I... D- Maybe the spectacle of the game is Wayne Barnes kind of maybe preempting this a little bit in terms of if he sends Antonio off, this game, this test match is done and dusted. So I don't know what the mindset here is, but Antonio has been uh, cited. Disciplinary panel proceedings will take place in due course. But as you say yourself, I mean, 
the fact that he's been cited here and the fact that Rob Herring went off. And that was another point for me here. Why wasn't Rob Herring just hauled off immediately? <laughs> it looked to me here, Liam, as if he was going to continue. And again, player welfare here really under the spotlight here, given that incident. Yeah, I, I think the delay was, you know, the, the, the medical doctors have to actually review the video, you know, to determine if if it was going to be a HIA. And I suppose, look, you should just probably, in that instance, when it was so severe, you should probably just have it have it instantly without having to review anything, you know, just haul him off immediately. <laughs> I mean, a guy who takes that sort of a hit to the head, <laughs> you know, should not be playing at all from that minute on, you know, even if they were to uh, somehow uh, succeed or and, and pass the HIA. I mean, you still couldn't do that, like, you know. Yeah, I think just the initial, you know, treatment of the player, you know, the player is down for a few minutes trying to recover, figure out where he is. I mean, that should have been prompting Barnes and the officials even to take it into their own hands and say, look, player has to go off precautionary. If he's fit to com- continue, then fair enough. But the fact that it was just so delayed, I think it just, the incident itself, I think World Rugby really have to look at this. This is a case study in terms of, don't want to be picking out Antonio here particularly, but this is a tackle that, as you say, Liam, needs to be outlawed. We're coming into a World Cup year. Heaven forbid if an incident like this happened and a player, unfortunately, didn't get up or suffered a serious injury. Like, we've had too many of these warnings here. I think now there needs to be a direction for World Rugby in terms of this head, this high tackle. What's the mitigating force? What's the mitigating factors? Because... I don't think players, and I don't think even supporters now know what constitutes a red card anymore in that situation. Yeah, that, that's that's exactly it. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, in one game it's it's a yellow, and in another game it's a red. So there there has to be probably before the World Cup, I suppose, is the key thing now. You know, to clearly outline what's what's going to be a, a an instant red. Yes, I would even call for it now, and not wait until the off season then for players then to then have to adapt again. I think this needs to happen as a matter of urgency. I would think even in the next few weeks, we have Super Rugby kicking off this weekend coming. Again, I think there needs to be directives here in terms of that high tackle. It has to happen now. Otherwise, I think just World Rugby are really absolving themselves of responsibility here to player welfare. So hopefully Rob Herring is recovering. You know, it was a massive hit. And again, France down to 14 players for 10 minutes. Antonio goes off. And Ireland reap rewards immediately with the Andrew Porter try. Again, you know, launching, attacking, kick deep. And Porter and the pack doing incredible work there, close out, to get over for the third try for Ireland. Yeah, and but look, it, it was it was inevitable that Ireland were going to get it. Just just on, on the day, the, the, the ferocious carries, it was, it was just going to, he was definitely going to score, yeah. Magnificent achievement from Andrew Porter, 50th cap. Todd Porter was so on point this week compared to Wales, where he run the rat a little bit of the referee with six penalties. But again, from let's say Andrew Porter's perspective, scrummaging was on point. And again, his carrying was very explosive. You know, he was making gain line yards here, which was great. I mean, for France's credit, and we have to give him credit, they hung on here, Dean. I mean, any other team here in Ireland's mood, the way Ireland were basically executing at pace, creating the overlaps, any other team would have been blown away at halftime. But France basically held Ireland's coattails. Ramos, again, being really fundamental here in terms of his penalty kicking, making it um, 19-16. And then we have DuPont's magnificent try-saving tackle on uh, Mac Hansen. I mean, I thought at the time, God, this could be actually a significant moment in the game for France. I mean, it was a marvellous effort from the Toulouse scrum half. Yeah, wasn't it? And again, look, I mean, that probably would have been the game very much so if Hansen scored. But what I what I was amazed with was the angle that he went. It was very unconventional from DuPont. So instead of going in like full tackle, he hung back and he he kind of was tilting backwards trying to trying to drag Hansen down and Hansen he had no power in his legs he actually couldn't 
drive forward at all the way the, the way that he was being tackled. Yeah. So yeah, incredible stuff altogether. It was just a phenomenal tackle from Dupont. I mean, it shows the strength and power of the scrum half. May look dominion, but my God, I mean, I don't think Mac Hansen had a chance here. I mean, it was just, I think the angle of the tackle, it just, Hansen had no answers really, you know, in terms of he offloaded and, you know, France got off the hook here a little bit. But again, Ireland continued to apply pressure. And I think the right call here, right before half time, penalty called by Ireland after more concerted pressure on France's line. Sexton kicks the penalty 22 16 at half time in a breathless half. Yeah, and, you know, again, 22-16, uh, all to play for, really, you'd have to say. The two teams were fairly even in position and, and in terms of carries. Iron, I suppose, m- making more metres. And, yeah, I mean, we, we, were, we were in a good position to, to kick forward because we had already three tries scored for the, the bonus point in the second half. No, absolutely, Liam. I suppose it was after the fireworks of the opening two quarters here. Third quarter, a little bit more cagey, I suppose. Kick game became a little bit more prominent. Now, we did have a few injuries here from an Ireland perspective. Rob Herring obviously going off after the Antonio incident. Tyg Byrne uh, going off with the leg injury. I mean, he had a powerful game in terms of turnover ball. He's already 12 tackles to his name. And Sexton. Sexton as well. Now, I think the good news from Ireland here is bench was truly tested in a, a test match of that quality. And I think we're delighted to say that the bench impact was very impressive on the day here, Liam. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you'd have to say chiefly, like what you're looking out for was Ross Byrne there, who definitely stood up beautifully in his control. But also yeah, Tom O'Toole actually uh, had a very good cameo as well. And of course, uh, Craig Casey as well. So that was actually, in a way, that was a kind of a bonus extra for us. Um, it solved a lot of questions, really. You know, we were talking about William and being answering the tight head issue. And certainly, look, Ross Byrne has kind of put to bed now about who is the backup for, for Sexton, in my in my mind. Exactly. He's a solid operator, without a shadow of a doubt. Delight for Craig Casey as well. I thought there was a key exchanges there from about maybe the 64th minute where I thought 9 and 10 particularly, Keenan as well with the 50-22, they applied massive pressure on France. The kicking game was on point, pinning France back. France had no platform in which to really express themselves and attack Ireland. They were very much hemmed in, and I think that an awful lot of credit has to go to 9 and 10 here, particularly the replacements uh, here, Ling. Yeah, it does, because... um... Again, I mean, I suppose you could say that we kind of ha- had kind of lost our way in a, in, a, in an attacking sense, but also, you know, the, you know, the French were still there; they were still in the game, and we had to, as you said, we had to kind of we had to pin them down. You know, trust that we would get the opportunities to get that bonus point, and that we certainly did, kind of in the in the last ten minutes there with uh, with ring rolls. Exactly, and you know, James Lowe before the game, the week of the game really backed Ireland's fitness and conditioning really to win through. And I think maybe from a French perspective here, the amount of tackles that they had to deal with here, I believe we're into 258 territory here, 258 tackles during the 80 minutes. That's going to take a toll. And to be perfectly fair, Gautier also, I thought, hauled off Ramos. Ramos would drop a goal as well. Incredible. I know there was an exchange of... Uh, three points here, Ross Byrne and Ramos basically with an exquisite drop goal, keep this in the melting pot, but it's just the build up, build up of pressure here, eventually took its toll here, and I thought Caelan Doris as well here, Liam, he really took control of this test match, you know, he's prominent throughout, but particularly in that third quarter into the fourth quarter, his carries broke French hearts here, the gain line breaks, you know, he was creating on every possession, and again, pivotal for the Gary Ringrose try, but I mean, another outstanding performance from Caelan Doris at eight. Yeah, tremendous, tremendous. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, but then, then again, you have you have probably have him and and O'Mahony and Van der Fleer are the the form trio now in in world rugby at the moment. Where I should out, but yeah, I mean, if, if, just a ferocious physicality from him. You know, really set the platform, I suppose, for for the rest of the pack there. And I suppose the thing is. 
though all the Irish pack are are, are now carrying with intent and they're really making huge not just like you know they're making huge meters they're using they're, they're, they're making a massive platform that shows i suppose a team that are just playing to the the zenith of their abilities really exactly i think it's just an evolution at the moment here lane just in terms of the the mobility the aggression the physicality taught james ryan you have to give props to james ryan here as well in terms of he's carrying you know, continue to be an able ball carrier on the day. Also, his defensive work was absolutely on point with 16 tackles. I think that was a high for Ireland during the 80 minutes and really kind of led from the front, uh, to be fairness, when uh, Sexton uh, did get replaced, uh, injured. I suppose, Liam, we could look in terms of ring roses try on 72 minutes. An awful lot of multiple multi-phase play here from Ireland, staying patient, committing French players to rook time. And again, Doris is passed to Ringrose, speed kills, what a pass. And then uh, Ringrose identifying a bit of a weak spot here in terms of Jalibur's tackle, and he was away, and bonus points secured. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But like, it, yeah, absolutely, that pass. But it, it was not, it, it, it seemed to me almost like one, an all-in-one movement, the kind of turnover rip from Doris, a long, like you've never seen it in your life, a long way, uh, it's just a, a perfect pass to ring rose but again you know ring rose he has something to, to do there um down the wing on the left um and uh yeah look shelly bears tackle just wasn't was strong enough and yeah in we go for the bonus which is probably going to be crucial come the end of the championship anyway kind of is i mean two or three be talking grand slam at this stage but pivotal score given three tries on the board now People can critique all they want here in terms of maybe Ireland, the Mac Hansen opportunity. Conor Murray had a few opportunities as well, but I would say to that, uh, at least we were creating try-scoring opportunities against France. Not many teams in this current light of this French squad will create as many try-scoring chances as Ireland has done last Saturday. So, I mean, it's a key try. It's a key score in the game. Builds it out to 13 points with Ross Burns unerring conversion. Now, in fairness to France, they kept going until the full 80, and there was a key intervention here from Bundy Akai uh, to literally retrieve ball deep in Ireland's half. So, again, France still a threat, even in the closing stages here. I mean, they were still looking for that loser bonus points. So, I mean, Galtier has to be pleased, not at, on the result, obviously, but the spirit of his French side to keep going until the end. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, look at, at times they were only passed away, really, and also from scoring, you know. But like, you have to look at it overall. Ireland were actually also held up about three or four times on the line, you know. So we could have had eight or nine tries, you know. I mean, really, we could on, on any other day. I think, look, that France will learn a lot out of this in terms of there'd be a lot more tactically kicking if they were to meet us in in. Uh, in a World Cup game and they would probably not run as much out because then you're, you're kind of, when you're running out, out from your own 22 so much, it, they'll probably, you know, keep it more to running in our half of the, of the, of the field. Yeah, I think so. I think France's game plan was that they thought their front five would blow Ireland's front five away in terms of their physicality. And also in set piece, it never happened. I mean, the fact that we had only five scrums in the 80 minutes here, Liam, really tells the tale of the tape. It was such a high-quality game that there was no minimal interruptions here. I think it was about 46, 47 minutes in open play for a test match that's outrageously high. It's great value and entertainment value for the supporters in the Viva. But I suppose it does test your conditioning. And I think from a French perspective, I think this unbeaten run was probably becoming a bit of a noose around France's neck. I think they will go away, they'll reflect, and they will come back, I think, stronger in this home game against Scotland, which it seems to be pretty much evenly poised here, uh, Liam, to be fair. So I think there is a few things here for Galtier and Sean Edwards that can come away with, uh, but like take nothing away. I think Ireland were superb. I think the way that they controlled matters here, territory with 64% overall, I think was just a, it was just a superb execution from Ireland on the day. I mean, they're setting kind of new levels after the New Zealand Summer Series, the November International Series, where they had two significantly tough games against Australia and South Africa. They seem to have evolved again in terms of their performance levels, 
even early doors between Wales and France. So all bodes very well for Ireland going into the bye week, uh, heading into Rome uh, on Sunday week. With every match, we've actually increased our performance levels and increased the quality of our play. So that is something that's incredible to see at this stage of the season. Yeah, look, we've, we've issued up next. And then we have, in all fairness, two quite tough games. You could be looking at, at, at Scotland still going for a triple crown and a championship, and certainly England as well will will certainly improve um, as the championship kind of near, comes to an end. So you, you said about France and the noose off their back or the weight off their back. I would actually also argue that come in a championship, you know, are we saying, you know, we want to obviously win the Grand Slam or will that increase the hype completely to uh, other levels? So it's, yeah, I mean, look, we're just, we're, we're, we're number one team deservedly in the world. Um, I suppose the best thing for me is that we're actually in form going to the World Cup. This is such a better context and backdrop, even after two games of the Six Nations compared to four years ago, when Ireland were struggling for form. We're maybe writing off one or two performances, kind of flashing the pan. No, they'll get it right in the World Cup. And then trying to chase performances during pre-season, which never happened. So I think our fate was sealed probably before going to that World Cup, if I'm being brutally honest. So I think this is different. I think this is a different set of players, different mentality. Andy Farrell has brought, he's elevated again, his ideas to Joe Schmidt's ideas. And things are going according to plan. But I think there's going to be far more rugby to be played in the Six Nations tournament. And every test match is going to be a challenge here. So, I mean, I would say from an Ireland perspective, they're taking every game as it comes, starting with Rome next weekend. That'll be a key game. Scotland away in Murrayfield. Looks quite a tasty fixture, given how Scotland have been going. And then England into Dublin. England would love nothing more than beating Ireland in the Aviva on that last day to deny Ireland a Grand Slam. So, I mean, game is still in the mental pot. I suppose, Liam, before we leave here, Conor Murray, what can you say about the performance from the Patrick's Well native here? Like an incredibly tough week for Conor Murray and his family. And we send all the best to the Murray family at this time. But my God, he's such a class operator. I don't want to hear anyone else criticise this guy ever again because the performance is breathtaking and he's really taken his opportunity so well given Gibson's Park's absence here. Yeah, like how how incredibly well he's played in the last two weeks seriously like it's been off the charts but yeah look because in it like i mean you, you wouldn't even blame him if, if 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 he wasn't able to to make uh make that game but uh, yeah i mean look at times that guy ha- gets to another level and and he, he's taking it there again he's passing he's tactical kicking his strength, which you, which was always key as well, his strength and his carrying, um, he just had Everton the locker, absolutely Everton, and it, and one of his best games that I've ever seen him play for Ireland, to be fair. It's up there, I think, just given the week that was. But I, for me, what's so understated by Murray is his game reading, and particularly his defensive game reading here. I feel so more assured when Conor Murray's on a rugby pitch here from a Munster or Ireland perspective because you know Murray and his physicality and his tackling technique, he really does provide that defensive protection here if, let's say, a line break was to be identified for an opposition. So, look, I think from a Murray perspective here, you know, probably more uh, priorities than game rugby right now, but I suppose from his perspective, Connor's perspective here, I think it's an incredible run of form here with an Ireland jersey and really puts pressure on Craig Casey from a Munster rugby perspective when the Six Nations concludes here. Who's going to be the number one starting scrum half here? Graham Rontree has a lovely conundrum to decide upon from a Munster rugby perspective. Who's the number nine going into the key kind of regular season games in the URC and also in the Champions Cup? Yeah, in a number of positions, he's a lovely conundrum, is that right? But yeah, I mean, look, Murray brings an awful lot to the table and you know, sometimes you kind of think he he's the, he's the guy to to absolutely start games, and Casey's the lucky finish. That kind of seems to be the way at the moment, and uh, that probably is how it's going to carry through. I would imagine from now to the end of the season. Yeah, because I think the two guys are they're elevating their performance, you know, based on the competition here, and that can only be good things here for Ireland. 
but also from a Munster rugby perspective. And you also have Paddy Patterson in the mix here as well. Liam, who's really a prominent prospect. You Neil Cronin there as well. So suddenly you're seeing the scrum half depth chart here. The core really impressing here for Graham Roundtree. So I think it'll be fascinating watch here from a provincial perspective when they all come back. I suppose, Liam, we can re- move ourselves from the euphoria of the Aviva and look at the Murrayfield test match between Scotland and Wales. Again, that was a very emotional pre-game, given the tributes to Doddy Weir. And to be fair to Scotland, a very slow, nervy start, I would say. But once they got to grips with Wales, particularly in that third quarter, Finn Russell at the controls, you know, there was no coming back for Wales here. 35-7, a record win for Scotland. And the first time since 1998 that Scotland have won their first two Six Nations fixtures. So all going well for Gregor Townsend and the Scottish camp. Yeah, certainly. Look, I I think we, we both said it last week. We both believed that Scotland would back it up and would win. That certainly came to pass very more, more comprehensively, I think, than, we, than either of us would have, would have predicted, really. For me, I just, yeah, the first half was like ding-dong battle, very little in it. But I think in the second half, the, the sheer genius of Finn Russell came true. It was one of the best halves I've ever seen from any out half. It was just um, outrageous talent. I I actually think too that that they, they Scotland really came out in the second half to play as well. And I, I I get the feeling that Finn Russell in terms of leadership would have been one of those guys in the dressing room saying Look, we're we're going to take them to the cleaners now. We're going to absolutely run them ragged. And 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 so it came to pass. For me, I mean, Russell was involved in pretty much yeah, all the tries in the second half. Incre- incredible performance. Like It's just, again, like in the Scotland game, it's the way he fixes fixes and, and passes. And it's the guys who then can run on, like almost like, you know, beautifully gifted passes. And, uh, oh, yeah, just, I, I can't speak highly enough. But but for me to Scotland now in all other areas, you know, they maybe before it was like looking for that bit of genius just from Russell or, or from Stuart Hogg. Now they have the likes of Steen, they have Van der Merva, they have Hugh Jones, you know, playing to the actual pinnacle of their abilities as well. And of course in the pack, I I thought they were excellent in the second half. I think, you know, Richie Gray and um, the captain, Richie, they, they, they have so many positives now, Scotland, to take out. Yeah, I think, look, going into this, even the, the next game against France, I think that's pretty much a 50-50 game. And I think they're, they have that hunger and drive in them, that toughness. I would even say that that, that kind of Ireland kind of finally have as well, you know? Those teams down three years who had maybe better players at times but didn't have that mental toughness and that sheer will to win. And that's that's something I also kind of felt from Scotland um, the last two games. Yeah, certainly, because I think this was a bit of an asset test for Scotland, given what happened 12 months prior. They came off the back of a superb opening fixture win against England in Murrayfield, only then not to back it up against Wales in the Principality. And I think to be fair to Wales, they started the game pretty well. I mean, they dominated the territory here in that first half. But again, Liam, we can talk defensive side of the ball, attacking side of the ball, given the territory that Wales had in the first half, only to come away with seven points. The Ken Owens try right at the end of the opening half. Really, to me, it indicates an awful lot of cohesion issues here across the pitch from a Welsh perspective. They've now dropped for this game, you know, they dropped your AWG, uh, JLR, Elwyn Jones and your Tipperich and, and, you're, and you're putting in some of the young guys and this Christ the Juna of Exeter, I think, you know, actually did very well in the game. He, he was one of standouts. But yeah, I mean, look, they are lacking cohesion. They, they're lacking a game plan. The players are all at sea. And to be honest, I, 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 I think at this stage, too, in addition to their lack of form, what's what's going to hamper Wales is the fact that none of their players have contracts for next season. They actually don't know about their future. So, I mean, this is the perfect storm, really, for Gatland. And, and then, you know, Gatland, 
you just can't be coming out and and seeing what he what he is saying about players. Yeah, it's just hard to see how they're they're going to actually win a game in the Six Nations now this season. I think even just compete, Liam. Period. I don't think players are in form. Gatlin based this on the Ospreys contingent really continuing the European Cup form and really the cohesion issues here with other players within the squad. I think the front five, again, was well exposed on Saturday against Scotland. I think did have the upper hand here. And to be perfectly fair, you know, turn his try after 30 minutes. Again, it's it's more the same from Wales here. I mean, the self-implosion, 17 penalties throughout the 80 minutes, the Liam Williams deliberate kill the ball to go for, down to 14 players, and then on cue... Russell starts orchestrating here, sets up Steen for the two tries. Game's well and truly over at that stage. And I mean, you have Blair Kinghorn and Ferguson then coming in to get tries right at the end. I mean, I thought the reaction of Rio Dyer spoke volumes to me, particularly on that second Stein try. It was like he arrived knowing that the try was being scored, but it was just the body language. For a young guy coming in, it just didn't, the vibes weren't good here. Are the vibes not good within this Welsh camp at the moment? I think Rob Morale here, given, I think, the, the drastic decision, really, to drop Falato, to drop Tipperick, and then Alwyn Jones as well. I mean, I think it's clearly backfired here, Liam. Yeah, but, I mean, look, look, they, 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 it has to be said they were also quite dire the the previous week. It's, it's you know, there are some other options, like Owen Williams for, for out half is, is, to me, is the most obvious um, answer there, um, but as you alluded, it's more. I think it's more the the the, the front five also aren't really up to it at all at all. They actually probably look probably look the weakest front five in in the in the Six Nations right now. So I mean, like, where do you go from there? Wales Wales don't really have any other players to pull from anywhere. But you know, second time round, Gatlin is back there now, and he has players which. In terms of his own guys, you know, are another five, six years on, and um, the guys coming up are, are very kind of raw. So um, I think Wales, it's going to be hard for, to, for them to turn around really between between now and the World Cup, even. Yeah, I'd agree with you, name. I think it's a, going to be a bit of a tough watch here if you're a Welsh rugby fan. Uh, particularly with Wales coming to Principality Stadium next weekend. I think the 80% tackle success rate as well, not good enough in terms of this level. The line-out as well misfired at important times here, particularly in that opening half. There's an awful lot of... Like Gatlin basically mentions in the post-game press conference, big calls are going to have to be made. What else is he going to do here? Is he really targeting bigger here? Is he going to Is he going to drop a guy that I think Gatlin would have considered untouchable? I think, is he going to go that level here? I don't know where the next people are coming from here from a squad depth perspective here. Maybe Williams comes into the reckoning a little bit, but a few of the bench that came on, they've been tried and trusted how many years now, and zero impact. So, I mean, Liam, Gatlin's no miracle worker here, and I think he's seen the problems that he's been inherited from Wayne Pivak. Like, Pivak had those exact same problems, so... I think it's going to be a very tough, tough uh, road ahead for Wales, even to get competitive here. And I mean, you're looking at that w- Italian-Welsh game in Rome. That Italian front five for me looks maybe a bit better than Wales, given current form at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it, it absolutely does. And 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 they also have um, you know, those brilliant backline players who are going to absolutely side through and anyone, you know. So, yeah, I mean, look, look, as I said, I can't really see Wales uh, picking up a win between now and the end of the championship. Gatland, look, the, in some instances, maybe something like Reese, a Reese Webb, Owen Williams, maybe, potentially. Um, but, like, in other in other areas, there's there's simply no other options there, really. I'd even go 12-13 as well. It's really a good cohesive, cohesive three-quarter unit. I think it's very early days here for Hawkins and North, but... I think they still have missed a trick with Kieran Williams from Ospreys. I think he's a direct ball runner. He showed it in good effect against Leinster at the start of January and not in the squad at all. So I think from that perspective, Hawkins is a superb talent, but 
maybe you need to take him out of the firing line here a little bit. North as a 13, I've never been really sold on him there. So, I mean, even Lee, Mil- Lee Williams, from a full-back role perspective, is his role in a little bit of jeopardy as well. So, but I suppose, take nothing away from Scotland here, Lee. I mean, I think the occasion, the Doddy Weir motion, I think may have got to a few of the players at the start. But once they settled down, I thought it was a very good performance here. And when you consider some of the Scottish players that are out injured at the moment, like Hamish Watson, Darcy Graham, there is kind of some squad depth coming through here, Liam. And I mean, they will go to Paris, top of the ground. And I think, Liam, from, let's say, a round three perspective, we'll do the preview on it next week. But I think that France-Scotland game is probably the pick of the round uh, next weekend. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because... Scotland will will now go there believing that they can win the championship, you know, never mind to <laughs> turn up and, and give a performance against France. I suppose also, I mean, you look at it now, they have the best running of all the sides, you know, uh, pick up the win against France. And then you have Ireland and Murrayfield and you've Italy to finish. That's that's a, a, a really smashing prospect for Scotland um, to pick up a Grand Slam and quite frankly, never mind, never mind uh, the championship. So, I mean, look, it's, it's all to play for for Scotland. But as you said, they have also players to come back in and um, they have, uh, I suppose, a, a, a coach who is finally coming good as well. It's taken, it's taken Gregor Townsend quite a while to find his feet at this level as well. Yeah, but I think the tests really kick on now. I think the mystique or the mystery of Scotland is blown wide open now, given these two performances in Twickenham and Murrayfield, 10 points from two games. So teams will be ultimately respecting them, starting with France. And like France will be wounded after that Aviva loss against Ireland. So I expect fireworks here. I expect a quality test match. If Scotland were to go to Paris and win, as you say, Liam, I think momentum will be pretty much on point. And it's going to be amazing that Pool will be in World Cup 2023 when you consider uh, South Africa, Ireland and Scotland. You may have the potential here, one seeds, one, two and three. Currently. Yeah, that's right. it. And going to the World Cup, one, two and three in the same group because it was like literally a year out from the World Cup they decided to, uh, yeah to do the, the draw based on those rankings. Yeah, absolutely crazy, crazy altogether. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, to be honest, that's go- that's your pool of death right there. So I think from that perspective, look, you know, delight for Scotland. It's been a long time coming. They're providing foundations here of optimism. So, I mean, great occasion in Murrayfield, the Doddy Weir Foundation, uh, the charity cycle, the results, everything about it was a resounding success. And I suppose for Wales, it's back to the drawing board and really kind of seeing where, I suppose, even to get a game plan that will compete against England. I think that's the key for Gatland here. So, I mean, I don't fancy to being more in Gatland's position at the moment, for sure. And I suppose concluding here, Liam, England v Italy on Sunday, Sunday match today in Twickenham. I mean, to be perfectly fair, the result itself was... England winning. I think we predicted that last week. And I think we called it as well. It was going to be a work in progress and it certainly was from England's perspective. Yeah, look, I just saw kind of the, the highlights of the, of the game and for me, and what, what did we say last week? I think we literally said how it's going to pan out is England are going to win by, by double scores. They're going to get a bonus point, but they're going to get a few mall tries <laughs> to kind of calm them down and get ahead. And that's exactly what happened. First two mall tries. There you go. I suppose, look, uh, Henry Rundle, the, the, the really upcoming wing talent, got a beautiful try there at the end to get the, the bonus point. So, yeah, for me, look, it was kind of a job well done for, for England to, to, to finally get a win and finally get their campaign up and running. Still, it was question marks again about, about centre and, and other positions. But I think they'd be happy. It, it's, it was a more typical English performance in terms of their pack really fronted up um, in that game. I think there was a little bit more structure at 10 as well. Owen Farrell coming in for Marcus Smith. Again, if you'd heard the podcast last week, I was kind of at pains to hopefully have Marcus Smith retained in the side. But 
I mean, from an England perspective, Lawrence probably coming out of it with big, big kudos, I suppose. 11 carries, 58 metres, got the man of the match. So from that perspective, fair enough. Dubrant as well with uh, 12 carries, 54 metres. But I suppose the England pack really dominating Italy, particularly in that first half. I thought it, Italy's breakdown work, particularly in that opening period, wasn't good enough for this test match level. I think they went a step backwards in terms of that. Maybe it's got to be kind of a key improvement for Ireland, uh, definitely. I mean, Chisholm gets the try on 28 minutes. And also you had uh, George as well crashing over as well. Uh, the only real, I think, distinguished open play was Van Porflet, um, the scrum half for England, going on a solo effort. Now, it was called back for obstruction, but really the synchronisation between the backs and forwards not really there right now here, Liam. I think from a perspective of England, Borick may have a bit of video analysis here, particularly in that second half. Italy really coming on strong here with two tries. Capusto basically setting up Ricky Cone and also Minocello then setting up Fusco on 68 minutes. So, I mean, there is good win for C. Borwick and Kevin Sinfield, opening win in their tenure, but plenty of work to focus in on ahead of that Welsh test match in the Principality. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. And again, I suppose that's, that's it's, it's going to be an intriguing game, you know, when Wales host England to see can they get things back on track or, or can England really, you know, turn the screw on Wales, maybe hockey them, maybe potentially, and uh, and um, really get their 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 mojo and their, their flow going again. It kind of went as, as we predicted. Italy certainly weren't going to lie down. They will be kind of competitive in, in every game in, in, in this championship. England... You know they have they have a lot of really good players, but they just need uh, somehow to get a, a a clear system going that suits the players. Really, isn't that it? Because I mean, I think Sinfield will 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 kind of close that defence and tighten the defence, but they need to they need to definitely offer more offensively. They're quite a limited team, really. I think so too. I mean, the pack. I think is an incredible unit like some of the characters that you see in there as Genge you know you're looking at the likes of Maro Thaje, you're looking at Don Brandt you're looking at Willis you're, like this is an outstanding pack here that could lay the foundations for a lengthy World Cup run here for England I think they have the ability here to really kind of hammer home an awful lot of teams with that pack I think where the problems really are is that synchronisation 9-10, also they're 12-13 here. They really don't have a solid, consistent game plan here. I mean, they have wonderful backs here, but it's this continuity, the creativity, the running lines, everything I think is really up for debate here from England's perspective. It's not going to come overnight here, Liam. I think we're going to see probably continuation against Wales, get the job done, pack-orientated, front five really trying to expose well Wales here and then play a rugby I think it's just an evolution here maybe when they come to Dublin we may see some signs of attacking intent but I think for now I think for Steve Borwick is to build confidence to build performances here is going to be secondary here I think Farrell at 10 is probably here to stay for a World Cup bid which is bad news for Marcus Smith here I don't know where you could maybe potentially put Marcus Smith could you put him in at 12 could you put him in 15? I think they need some creativity or a playmaker here of some shape or form. I, I feel it's a bit of a waste, a bit of a missed opportunity if they don't really experiment with Marcus Smith going into a World Cup here. Yeah, they might. And again, you know, uh, the previous coach laid his faith in, in Manu Tulagi, who, who, you know, <laughs> the odds of him being at the World Cup are quite low, to be honest about it, going in previous form. So yeah, that's a good idea. Look, I mean, having having that kicking twelve is uh, something unique, and defenses wouldn't wouldn't have um, much footage on on that happening if towards in the championship they put Smith in at twelve. That's that would be quite a good idea. But I can see Borwick and Sinfield retaining Lawrence and Slade probably at twelve and thirteen uh, for that Welsh game, but it is going to be an area of contention here they have a talented playmaker Marcus Smith here 
There's going to be times where they needed to create another creative playmaker on the pitch to really unlock defences, particularly when it comes to World Cup quarter final, semi final. So I think for Steve Borwick, I don't think he can be waiting around for World Cup friendlies here to really kind of identify that. So I think that's going to be an interesting watch. But I mean, take nothing away from England here. Bonus point win in front of Twickenham. It's a win. And I mean, they move on. But I suppose from an Italian perspective here, I suppose two steps forward against France, probably one step back here, given the first half performance. And with Ireland coming to Rome here as well, it's kind of, I don't want to be saying siege mentality here for Italy here, but again, if their performance against England is anything to go by, I think they may be in for a long afternoon in Rome against Ireland. Yeah, they may. And and look, traditionally, you know, towards the latter half of the championship, you know, the, the ship injuries, they wouldn't have the same squad depth as other nations but also I mean I, I would imagine that they may get back Garbisi for for some remaining championship games that would make a difference but yeah look I mean look it could be early doors it could be in our Irish performance where three tries up in the first half bonus point or in the second half it could be a long um, afternoon certainly yeah like Garbisi might come back but Lamaro went off injured early here that's bad news here for Italy, I would think, in terms of pack and back row dominance. Take nothing away from Rusa. I think he's been their standout in terms of line-out execution and also in terms of his overall play. But I think uh, the the penalty count as well, Liam, here was 2-1 to one Italy, 14 penalties to 7 to Italy. I mean, if that's a similar penalty count against Ireland, they will be absolutely crucified here. So it'll be, an, it'll be a good watch. I suppose we'll get more of an injury assessment from Italy leading up to the game next week ahead of our podcast. But I think uh, for England, a good win. It's a bit of a foundation, but again, an awful lot of long, hard work to go for England. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you liked what you heard in this podcast, why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon, Spotify, YouTube, or Twitter platforms. You can also follow me at Hawkeye Psychic on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles, and reports. 